Welcome to Everyday Sublime, shedding light on yin yoga and meditation. I'm your host, Josh Summers. I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, and also a licensed acupuncturist. This podcast is intended to be an in-depth exploration of the intersections between yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. In each episode, I will offer a 10 to 15 minute reflection on one or several of these themes. And my hope is that these reflections will support both your practice and or your teachings of yin yoga and meditation. In this episode, I'll be concluding an introductory series of lessons on a yin approach to meditation. In this episode, I'll be looking at how a yin approach to meditation cultivates creativity in your practice, and also how a yin approach to meditation provides a functional approach to working with your life. So let's get started. Over the last several lessons, I've tried to present a way of approaching meditation that parallels the foundational principles of yin yoga. Those are coming into a posture and playing your edge, relaxing your muscles, and remaining still for time. In meditation, those same principles become allowing your mind to relax and becoming receptive. That's one. Two, playing your mental edge. And three, remaining relatively still for time. In this final lesson on a yin approach to meditation, I'd like to conclude with some broad comparisons again between a yin approach to meditation and a yang approach. Not surprisingly, these observations and comparisons also dovetail some of my views about the physical practice of asana. So to start, a large theme of this approach to meditation, or the central aspect of this meditative process, is for a meditator to better understand what their actual experience is when they're meditating. This might sound obvious and banal, but the vast majority of meditation approaches, those that are mostly yang, these approaches tend to zero in on the practitioner having their experience conform to what the meditation instruction says it should be. For example, if you're supposed to be concentrating on the breath, then the instructions guide you towards doing just that, just more consistently. Or if the meditation instruction is a more conventional approach to mindfulness, you'll try to conform your experience to be a correct, mindful perception of what's happening to you while you're meditating. And that might mean that you adopt a non-judgmental attitude towards your experience, or that you have a more present moment relationship to your experience, or that you see your experience clearly and correctly, perhaps in accordance with the core Buddhist principles of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and non-self nature. Now, none of these are necessarily bad per se, But these views about good experience do exert a kind of influence on how you experience and what you experience. But in this less conventional approach to meditation, this yin approach that I'm describing, you're encouraged to make of your experience what you will. Let me say that again. You're encouraged to make of your experience what you will. You're encouraged to get as close as possible to your actual experience while meditating. That is to know that experience with your own words, your own phrases and metaphors. And, here's where it gets creative, you are also given permission to experience your experience in any way that you feel useful, compelling, or helpful. 
This was discussed at length in the lesson on playing one's mental edge in yin meditation. But that's the essence of this approach to meditation. Through understanding and becoming more familiar with your actual experience, you can nurture a process of growth and development in your character and life. And this is very creative. So this brings me to another point of comparison between a yin approach to meditation and other more yang styles. I'll be arguing here, or saying gently as possible, that a yin approach to meditation fosters an artistic or creative process within your meditation practice. In contrast, many yang styles of meditation tend to inculcate a kind of mechanical execution of meditation techniques. To help make this clear, a musical comparison might be helpful. And if you're a musician, please take this with a grain of salt. But at classical music conservatories across the world, at conservatories that is, musicians are trained to an incredibly high degree to perform works of various composers. These classical musicians become exceedingly skilled at all the skills involved in making music. Sight reading, producing beautiful sound, being able to replicate this performance at a world-class caliber again and again and again. But the dirty little secret here is that if you were to take one of these classically trained musicians and throw them on stage at a blues bar, it's very unlikely, with a few rare exceptions, that they would be able to spontaneously improvise something both moving and worth listening to. And that's not a fault of their own. That's not how they were trained. The classical musician, put rather cynically, is trained to execute the artistic creation of others. Now in comparison, the jazz or blues musician is a different kind of musician. She might not be able to sight read so well. She might not, the jazz musician might not have the best sound or tone or intonation even. They might not be able to play a D minor chord upon request, but they are able to respond spontaneously to what's going on in music. They can improvise within a musical conversation, just like picking up a conversation with a stranger. And for that reason, that's just one of the many reasons I wanted to feature my friend's music, Aaron Goldberg, as the jazz intro and outro for the music on this podcast. Jazz is the musical form that most closely mirrors the way I think about meditation. For me, meditation is about developing the skill to spontaneously and creatively live your life. And you can do that within the meditation itself. Most meditation systems, however, train people to meditate like classical musicians. You're taught skills to master, and then ultimately you're told to execute those skills to replicate correct meditative experiences or perceptions. But in this yin approach to meditation, you're trained much more like a jazz musician. You learn to listen deeply to the dynamics of your own experience. And then, like a jazz musician, you jam on those rhythms and experiences and themes. You tinker with the experience. You might try one thing, pursue a different line, explore another theme, look at a different thought pattern or emotion. You lean in or then back off. In this yin approach to meditation, with your own direct experience, you are encountering the raw materials of your life. Let me say that again. You're encountering the raw materials here of your life and working with them in a creative way. You encounter the sensations of your body, sensation of other experiences, perceptions and sounds, ideas, thoughts, your views and your opinions. And in coming to know these elements directly, these raw materials more directly of your life, as I said earlier, you will make with them what you will. That is, your life in its entirety becomes an act of creative expression. How you act, 
think, speak, work, and rest are all part of one process that you examine and develop in the workshop of your meditation practice. And this brings me to a second point of comparison between a yin approach to meditation and a yang approach. And that is the comparison between functionality and aesthetics. Many people are familiar with the idea of functional alignment versus aesthetic alignment now. Like in asana, or physical postures, if you adopt a functional approach to how you come into a pose, you don't worry so much about what the pose looks like. Instead, you focus on what your actual experience in the pose is like. Are you creating sensation in the body where you intend to feel it? Is that sensation or stress that you're feeling even appropriate? If you move your foot this way, or your knee that way, or extend your spine, what are the direct effects of those actions? Often, by aesthetic standards of symmetry and beauty, by aesthetic standards of parallel lines and right angles, functional asanas or functional postures look rather ugly in comparison to their aesthetically designed siblings. But with wisdom, we choose the functional approach because it works much better for our bodies and in service of our life. And so too in a yin approach to meditation, the internal dynamics of your actual experience are given priority. And the actual experience that you encounter in your body and mind while practicing meditation might be rather messy. Your experiences aren't so clear-cut or well-organized. Your attention won't always be crisp and sharp and clear. You might have periods of time where you're wrestling with conflicts or in drifty, dreamy, cloudy mind states, or just sort of processing and cycling through unresolved issues in your life. None of these experiences would win you much honor by the aesthetic standards of conventional meditation, where sharp awareness or heightened focus and concentration are the metrics of success and are what are highly prized. And yet, by allowing your meditation to be functionally unesthetic, by letting it unfold naturally, which means for certain times it will appear disorganized and messy and chaotic, you might be developing a functional skill to be with your mind as it is. And this kind of skill applies directly to your life. A line I've always loved from my teacher Jason Siff is how he answers the question about how to apply meditation to your life. Jason's answer, in paraphrase, is something like this. He says, If you wish to apply meditation to your life, consider allowing your life into your meditation. Now, of course, this is risky. Our lives are messy, unfinished, uncertain, and challenging. But in allowing themes and topics of your life into your meditation, you will likely find that after the meditation is over and you've gone through it some, that you have a slightly different way of being with those themes and topics when they arise again in your actual life. And over time, there may be a gradual development of wisdom, understanding, and kindness towards those themes and topics that you've given yourself a chance to be with during your meditation. But back to a comparison with more conventional yang styles of meditation, what I'm proposing is an inverse of what is typically presented. In conventional approaches to meditation, you would be encouraged to develop something during the practice itself that you would then try to carry out or into your life. Usually this would be some variation of calm and presence. You would try to develop an inner experience of calm and presence, which you then attempt to maintain and transpose into your life after the meditation. But in a yin approach to meditation, 
you might not feel all that calm during the meditation at all. Of course, you might be. There are ways of entering stillness, which I talked about in previous lessons here. But in, in the practice, in the, in the yin approach to practice, you might actually feel quite agitated or uncertain about something during the experience of meditating. However, afterward, or after several times of experiencing these themes in meditation, you might begin to find that you have more resources of calm and presence to be with those dynamics after the meditation or during your day-to-day -day life. Now, there's no guarantee when or where or how these qualities of mind will ripen and be noticeable in your own experience. But when you do start to see that there's an onward developing trend over time, where you see these things starting to gradually develop and ripen, it's then that you'll likely develop confidence and faith in this process, or in this approach to meditation. Okay, I'd like to end this conclusion to a yin approach to meditation with a teaching that I heard on my very first silent retreat back in 2000. The teacher, Rodney Smith, shared a story from the Buddha's teaching career called the Kukuravataka Sutta, or the Dog Duty Ascetic, the teaching about the Dog Duty Ascetic. This might seem a little strange, but in this teaching, a person was practicing to be like a dog, and, there was a, and he had a friend who was practicing to be like an ox. So these were two ascetics, one dressed as a dog, one dressed as an ox. And they approached the Buddha and asked him what the outcome of their practice would be. They wanted to know where, what they could look forward to having devoted a lifetime to practicing like a dog or an ox. And initially, as these stories go, the Buddha was not very interested in responding to their question. But after three persistent requests, the Buddha felt obliged to give these seekers an answer. And his answer went something like this. He turned to the dog ascetic. He said, you, you who are practicing like a dog, the best, the very best possible outcome of your practice is that you will be reborn as a dog. And you, ox ascetic, you who are practicing like an ox, the very best possible outcome of your practice is that you will be reborn as an ox. At this point, as the story goes, both ascetics cast off their animal costumes and begged to be ordained as monastics. Okay, so what does this mean? Putting aside the difficulties of swallowing that the Buddha might have been talking about literal rebirth here, one possible interpretation of the story is this, that the Buddha is basically saying to us, as you practice, so you become. In other words, the way that you practice conditions how you get reborn into subsequent moments of your life. I've always found this to be a helpful reminder. If I'm practicing with a young, egoic, or striving mindset, that conditions how I develop myself as a meditator. But if I practice less mechanically, with more yin energy, creativity, receptivity, non-striving, that too conditions what I become in subsequent moments of rebirth in my very life. So I submit to you in conclusion that there is more to meditation than becoming a technical, skilled meditator. At its heart, meditation practice is a journey into the endless art of living. And I hope these reflections are of value to you in your own practice of meditation and journey through life. Okay, I'll stop there for now. And in the next episode of Everyday Sublime, I'll be introducing a series of episodes on traditional Chinese medicine. I look forward to sharing those insights with you, as always from my practice to yours. If you'd like to follow along with Everyday Sublime, please subscribe in iTunes. There's a link for you in the show notes, 
or you can subscribe directly on my site at joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe. Also, if you'd like to study or train in yin yoga with me, check out yinyogaschool.com. Thanks so much for listening today, and I'll see you on the next episode.